You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back. Land and Legacy Podcast here. We are going to be, uh, man, I, I guess I should just say it's, uh, it's crazy that we're coming up on the end of the year. This is the last podcast um, for 2021. Um, this and the other, other podcasts this week. And it's just remarkable. Once again, here we are, we're getting ready to go right into the heart of habitat season. And we're very excited because there's going to be some new content, new areas that you guys are going to be able to get information from us. Um, going to be able to follow along and see more visual representations of everything we have going. Um, as far as, you know, uh, different practices that we preach, we know you, you can hear us here each and every week. Um, but ultimately, we know that there's other ways to educate you guys and give that information out there. So be following along. Um, man, uh, I'll introduce you back. Uh, you know, It's I feel, been a little while since I've been on. Yeah, it has. And, and I, I was sitting here, I think you did some hunting ones. Uh, and, and you did them with Matt, actually, I think you and I haven't, I don't think it, you and I have had a podcast yeah. together in a while. Um, but Chainsaw Chad is here. So, um, we decided that <clears throat> because of, uh, being the end of the year and because I've had a lot of really cool feedback over the course since February that we would jump in and, um, unpack kind of a, uh, I mean, 10 month, really, uh, or I guess an 11 months uh, review of Whistling Woodlands, which we just kind of called the Woodlands now for short, but Whistling Woodlands Farm, which is kind of a combination of of everything from the family farm to our farm, and we just all call it, lump it in as the Whistling Woodlands. And um, we're going to kind of 
tell you guys how far we've made it in one year to hopefully inspire a lot of you to understand that when a plan is in place, when you prioritize your work, when you use other forms of machinery and you in uh, you can knock out a ton of stuff in over the course of however long and uh, that's really been but I, and i think it's kind of telling that you pause to to really try to decide what year it is <laughs> what do you mean when you said 2021 you pause like okay what year is it yeah <laughs> uh, 2021 okay yeah yes and so here we are i mean um man uh it's it's been pretty remarkable at um you know you and I did a couple podcasts and we really tried to update people over the course of time and in what is going on at the at the woodlands because um <clears throat> I, I I'll say almost I say pretty confidently that what we're doing here I have not seen in many places in the country and certainly not just any farm of the the the, the just sheer amount of diversity and practices that we're utilizing. Um, and the- to me, I, I think that's a big difference is the, I think you have some, some forethought on some hunting properties in places. Mm. Yeah. That's similar, but not in this type of habitat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think too, you know, as a consultant and as traveling the country in 29 States now, um, in, it's probably over a hundred thousand acres we've got to work work on um I feel you know each every each and every property is different, but the one thing is true is that I'm not the owner, and you know that's that's the 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 landowner hires us and then we show up and I write a plan or Matt writes a plan or Kyle writes a plan or Frank writes a plan and Ultimately, we lay out like this is ultimately what we would do if we were the owner, and and uh, not all of it always gets done. You know, people's lives are busy; they don't have the time. They get they don't really like. You know, some people could say they love edge feathering, <clears throat> but they don't love it on their own place, or they love edge feathering because of all the benefits, but they just can't quite do that on their own property or some people say you know i would love to see this in a in a savannah or a woodland but i just can't quite cut the trees like that's a hang-up for me so as the woodlands were purchased in february by chad and i it was very much a chance for us to say okay this is what i would recommend and this is what we're doing and no holds bar, we're doing it. And uh, and we're going to do this as quickly as possible because time keeps moving forward. And I don't want to be hammering away on a TSI project when I'm 50. Now, TSI <laughs> is, is uh, going to be a reoccurring thing. But the heavy lifting of land management, I don't want to do that when I'm 50. And I know Chad doesn't do, want to do it when he's 53 or 54. So um, here we are in our in our uh, early to to th- mid 30s, upper 30s, um, saying, 
Yeah, that, I guess it is the mid thirties because I'm thirty four and you're thirty seven. Eight. Eight, and so, yeah, and here we are hammering away, and I just feel like, you know, I want people to understand what we were able to accomplish, and and frankly, when I looked back and I started building this list for this podcast, I was a little bit like, wow, we got more done than I thought. Um, cause sometimes I feel like we were like, man, it doesn't feel like we're getting like, not a lot's getting done or I, there's something else we could do. And then I look back and I'm like, yeah, we did pretty good. Well, I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you think in previous years, any habitat work and, and pretty much most of the stuff we have done has been on us. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. like cutting TSI, we've done it. Mm-hmm. Cutting cedar, we've done it. This is logging where we have somebody else cutting. We marked yeah. sleep trees ahead of them, but somebody else was doing that heavy lifting in that. Yeah. Now they were getting a benefit from it as well. And, and it's the same with a lot of like the dozer work. Somebody yeah. else was doing that. That's right. So, you know, um, as we jump into this, though, guys, I, I shared something on social media this week just to share a like a, a quick you know, this is one setup on the woodlands. This is just one one thing that's changing uh, right now that we'll be able to enjoy for years to come. And so, you know, you see turkeys in one of the pictures, and then you see an Onyx kind of a, a file or a, a photo of, of my Onyx screen and everything that's occurring. And I listed out savanna restoration, woodland restoration, open edge feathering, closed edge feathering, a water hole, um, two types of food plots and uh, temporary forest openings or bedding thickets, as we call them. So there was there was eight things there, uh, and, I, and I think I ask people what is some other diversity that we can add. And uh, there's a couple things that we will add, obviously that we know what we'll we'll add, and we just haven't gotten to it yet. But we'll get to it in the future. But um, if you look at that map, that's just a that's like microscoping the woodlands but when you macroscope it and look at it from a big scale you'll see that oh there's diversity everywhere everything is laid out in a not a rhyme or reason not no willy-nilly not any dilly-dally management it's it's very much everything's kind of got its place and that was just a a a a a speck of what we're doing on the woodlands to allow people to see that um, when you have a plan, when you execute the plan, you can see some amazing results. And it doesn't matter where you're at in the country. If you're in the Ozark Mountains, the armpit of America, when it comes to whitetail deer hunting, what I thought as a young man, and it may still be true, um, you'll realize that when you execute, when you do lay out a plan, a diverse plan, and you execute it, that even on your place, you can see some changes and see wildlife benefiting. So, um, and that kind of leads me into one of our partners that help us on this podcast and help fund us doing this podcast each and every week is on X. And, uh, as, as I showed you on that file or on that photo, we are utilizing it to lay out everything. We utilized it to, um, help the loggers and help the dozer people operate and know where we wanted the clear cuts, where we wanted the food plots, where we wanted the road system. And that doesn't, it makes our life so much easier. It doesn't make, it doesn't happen easy if 
we're using the old school map way and they're not able to follow the map uh, as easy as you or I, Chad, would be able to and to understand, yeah. oh, yeah, this is where you're talking. When they have Onyx on their phone and they and I share these polygons with them and they roll in and they're like, okay, I'm in the middle of the polygon. I'm looking over. I see the flagging or I see the paint. I know where I'm at. This is perfect. And, well, and, and it's not even not even just that. I mean, we were able to go in. We, You and I had discussed somewhere else on the computer or on our phones, discussed where to put these. Yeah. And then either you or me went out there and used that map as a guideline. But obviously when you look on a map and then on the land, it's different. Yeah. So then we could lay it out with the tracker function and track our boundary and then take that and make the shape file out of that. That was the actual polygon for that. That's right. That opening or whatever we were doing. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's been an incredible tool and I don't even say that from a sales pitch. It's like, this makes our life easier. We use it whether we have a relationship with Onyx or not. And fortunately for you guys, you can save 20% on a onyx subscription if you use code land and legacy 20 um yeah that's a i was thinking as you were describing the stuff i I think a lot of people if they saw our our onyx map would almost be confused by how much diversity is on there oh totally i've 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 asked about like our cameras and and how many cameras we have out how far the like cutty links reach and i've showed them the map and they were like what is all that? I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't understand everything that's on there. It's just easier to say it's confusing for you. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, and uh, even to the point where we've had to start using layers because it's just too confusing. Are we, is this a TSI map or is this a burn map? Is this a, is this a, um, hunting stands <laughs> and tree and uh, tree stand map? What, what are we dealing with here? I've had to change how I, do uh camera points on the map because i used to hit like touch the map and now i hit a shape file on every one of them and it comes up so i have to do it with the i have to do it a different way now no doubt yeah it's been incredible uh how much stuff we have planned as well as have executed and now is designated on that place so um as we jump into the recap you know for a lot of guys. So Chad and I were fortunate enough, um, I guess, or unfortunate enough, you be the judge, verdict's still out, to purchase the farm adjoining the family farm. And I want to be as transparent with people as possible. Uh, That's been kind of a thing about in past uh, working experiences for me, working with uh, many other shows has been, uh, I want to be as transparent with you guys as possible. So family farm is around 275 acres. And then the farm Chad and I bought was around 200 or 200, 470 acres. Um, yes, land is very much, uh, is a lot cheaper in the Ozark mountains and probably wherever it is you're listening and live. Uh, it seems like, and when I tell people what price per acre is around the Ozarks on ground like this, they're like, holy cow. So it seems like there's probably people in the, uh, Appalachian mountains that, um, that would, uh, that would probably see similar prices in other places, but 
if you're in crop ground, yes, it's much, much, much cheaper than where you're at in your tillable uh, corn acres. So give or take, uh, I forget what that adds up, somewhere over 700 acres that we're now uh, owners of, controlling, um, owner, temporary owners, whatever you want to call it for the time that we're here on this earth. And um, so when we bought the property in February, we had already leased the property for over 10 years from um, the previous owner. Now, he allowed us to do food plots, and we had done some logging in a plan with him trying to restore this property into a highly functioning um, property that we're doing now. But due to logging schedules and various things, it was a slow process getting started. Um, and so Chad and I had the opportunity to purchase it in February, and we did. Um, using a FSA government loan for farmers, um, you know, with my experience uh, of, of an ag background um, coming to our advantage, and we were able to do a waive the zero percent, it was a zero percent down loan. So we didn't have to put any money down, but we bought cows instead. Um, and then as we began logging, um, that's basically farm payment. And then as we sell cows, the cows will be the farm payment every year and then some because we're planning on having a big enough herd to where it makes a farm payment and as well as has additional cash. So just being upfront and transparent with you guys, um, that's kind of the scenario that plays out. Chad, you got anything to add to that? No, not really. Yeah. So ultimately, guys, you know, we told you guys this, this farm will pay for itself, and that's essentially what we're setting up where – there was no down payment, but we paid uh, personal money to buy the cows up front, which the money that would be used to, because of timeline, I, I kept telling my wife and friends, feels a little bit like we're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Like the money we have for the down payment, we bought cows instead. And then when we logged, we paid the farm payment. And so uh, that way we already have cows. We already got them bred with the bulls. So then when they start dropping we had a few that were already bred before we bought them. So when we sell calves next year, um, that money uh, will either be used for the farm payment or to improve the farm in another form or fashion to um, basically just improve the farm where we continue making money and then we'll still have logging going on this spring. So all of that is just constant making sure farm payments are met and making sure the farm is headed in the right direction. And so, you know, we're looking, we wear many, many caps when it comes to trying to improve the habitat, but still make money, still add diversity, still add disturbance, and not go crazy and all of that to where we hate farming. And yeah, so, it's, yeah. It's, it's one of those things we may have some lean years for a few years getting it set up. Yeah, that's but right. we were ready for that no doubt no <laughs> prepared doubt. for it fortunately we're blessed enough to where we could make it my wife understood it and was okay with it and uh i mean what's <coughs> sorry what's what's better than having the ability to somebody come to you sorry <coughs> having the ability when somebody comes to you saying that they want to sell or that they're willing to sell the farm that you're that's touching it's basically our whole western border of the family farm and 
we were able to make that happen. So it was one of those opportunities that you probably only get once in life, and we did not want to pass it up. <coughs> All right, so sorry. All of a sudden, I got choked up, but. So we bought the farm in February, and immediately we ha- we had a couple of projects that we had signed up for. Previously, as as we had leased it, I was an operator on the farm, so I was able to sign us up for some cost share opportunities with uh, NRCS. And as an operator, I had already started to sign up for some of these. So we roll we were able to roll right into some of these cost share opportunities, which once again it probably doesn't happen for everybody like that uh, having the ability to already be an operator on the farm because a lot of these NRCS programs you have to be the owner for a year before you can before you can sign up for anything so once again um i mean if if you want to hear the full testimony i'll tell it to you one day but there was definitely divine intervention in this whole process and god was able to do orchestrate some things that it was like oh wow that 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 never happens that's pretty unbelievable that it happened for us. Um, bought the farm, and so we immediately went into a glade restoration, about five and a half acres, that we were able to cut the eastern red cedar, hackberry, uh, sycamore, a bunch of other species that really aren't a glade species. And we were able to um, cut that out, get some cost share money on it, restore a just a, a glade that's been abandoned for a long, long time, and it looks pretty remarkable now, wouldn't you say no, so, Chad? No, it's amazing. I was in there yesterday and looked yeah. at it again, and and just to know what it looked like, because this was about the time we were cutting last year, wasn't it? Yeah, uh huh. Right around. And Christmas. to to know what it looked like then, and then to walk in now and see, I mean, just the native grasses all across it. Yeah, in, I mean, in places that were not there. Yeah. I mean, there there were places that they existed, but they were very suppressed yeah very short just just there now all of a sudden they've they've had a full growing season of daylight and they're it's just pretty like a sea of grass in places you're like holy cow um yeah yeah pretty pretty amazing so uh, amazing area now for deer and turkeys and and uh hopefully quail um but ultimately it was like an area that was very neglected and now it's an amazing part of the property um one of my favorite parts and it's in a really weird area like if you want to talk about the last the lost uh 40 um that's it uh currently with with 122 or i guess it'd be 80 that kind of sets in our southern border we kind of have this little like uh little bootleg boot heel that goes down in a 40 and that's that's where this glades at so it's the very southwest corner of the property right pretty not too far from the boundary actually when you're standing in the glade you're seeing the neighboring properties and it's kind of like wow that's a really cool part but it is hard to get to yeah yeah so then uh some of the other things we had going on was one of our bru- uh, we had two brush management units and so ultimately guys the plan for this farm is we are greatly increasing the cattle production. Like we don't want to have acres that are grazed that really aren't managed for grazing and just kind of they're open. So we graze them. We're trying to make sure that if it's an open acre, it's being productive. And and a couple of these areas had been um, because of food plots and because of location and they haven't really been maximized. Um, they don't grow fescue real well. Um, 
and there's still a native component. Um, there was a lot of brush, uh, like Himalayan blackberry popping up, multiple rows. And a lot of a lot of the, the the brush accumulations in these areas had been more of a product of when they first started to grow up. It was a we had a lack of cover on on the family farm. Yeah, and that was kind of the start of we we kind of backed off on clearing some of that out. And in the process, we ended up with the cedars taking over in some of them in some of the areas, mm-hmm. but then also some honey locusts coming in, but we'd quit like keeping it bush hogged. We'd quit keeping them clean so that we had a little more holding cover on That's the family right. farm. Now that we have cover on other places, we were able to start clearing them up more and we may take a step back in the cover component to then stay, take two steps forward. And I'll explain that in a little bit, but I want to finish this thought or this this explanation, and we're trying to maximize the cattle. So typically, Dad has ran around 40 to 50 head, um, give or take the year. Sometimes it's down in 30s. Sometimes it's up closer to 50. But he basically was running a cow-calf operation about that many head on both the family farm and the farm we purchased. And ultimately, we want to maximize that to where uh, we're – we're reaching holding capacity with the cows. And so because of that, we need to, we're wanting to increase the amount of forage produced on many, on more acres. And to do that, we're having to clean up some of these mediocre pastures, make them more productive. Um, So we're ultimately trying to increase the number of head that we have on the farm or on, on the woodlands, both the family farm and the property we purchased and then uh, at the same time, that's that's one income, income source we're trying to increase even more for many reasons. Not just about the money, but about the disturbance that we're wanting to do. So we're wanting to run a bigger herd of cows at, as one herd and push them into smaller areas for shorter periods of time to really replicate um, what we feel like would be bison herds of old to where... Everything gets hit pretty hard, but then the cows move to the next spot. So there's there's a shorter window of grazing and a longer period of resting throughout the farm. So we can grow more grass and have more acres that are beneficial to wildlife. And because we have more grass, it's more beneficial to the livestock. So that's one and form that we're, we're really trying to increase and in, in making sure that our productiveness is, is maximized. So the, the and part of the breast management... The breast management units are in preparation for a diverse native reestablishment. Yeah. Turning and them into warm season pasture. In as, as both for wildlife benefit of just having the diverse native stands, but also it throws us the ability to have summer pasture that we have not had in the past. That's right. Because typically in our part of the world, a lot of pastures are fescue, which is a cool season grass, and is not really productive during the summer months, especially not being into fight ridden um, and and not being as productive for the cattle. So we're trying to get our cows off of fescue uh, in, in a couple of different forms, but we're trying to get them not grazing fescue during the heat of the summer. We can go on to diverse natives, which are more productive for the wildlife. 
And um, so when the cows are done grazing those pastures in the summer towards August, it gives those grasses plenty of time to recuperate, grow to, to heights that are more beneficial to wildlife, and then the cows aren't in there at all until the next summer. Um, and, and I think that's something that, that is going to be just amazing to see. And I say that, is, and I, I said that to kind of tee up for the next statement that's going to be shocking to a lot of people. When it comes to the cattle, we're trying to maximize this so there's more income because Chad and I don't want to. There's a couple farms nearby that we want to purchase because they were once in the Keith name. They were our grandfather, great-grandfather's farm. So we're not done with just this one, hopefully, Lord willing. And so we're doing all that to, to prepare ourselves. So my next line is we're also planning on selling hunts on this farm for that very reason of, yes, Chad and I love to hunt it, but ultimately I want to continue building up the farm and being more productive and having the ability to to build a venue where we can host field days, possibly host some weddings, possibly host some other events there where we're showing the farm off and, and helping educate more people. And we can't do that without more funds. And a big part of this whole experience has been to educate you, the listener, landowners, and hunters in general, to get more out of your land. And I feel like, you know, it's one thing to hire us to consult, but it's another thing to actually see what we're talking about. And I don't know of a better way than coming and spending three, four days with us during a hunt where we're actually seeing parts of the property that don't want, that we don't typically see. So I say yeah, that. I mean, you know, we can have workshops and we will, we'll have workshops, but there, to me, there's a difference in having a, a workshop where you have a group of people out there and you show them some choice parts of our property and kind of explain it. Yeah. But it's for a lot of people, it takes the actual hunting experience for it to click on mm-hmm. why you set up certain things the way you do. Yeah. So we're only planning on taking a couple, three, maybe four hunts during turkey season and the same number during deer season because we want the experience to be top, uh, top tier where it's not like you come to the farm or a person would come to the farm and hunt it during the fall and be like seeing candy wrappers or boot tracks going to the stand where they're like, Oh, somebody else has been hunting here. It's like, now ultimately we feel, you know, we passed some really nice bucks this year in preparation for that. Plus we want to see them get to five and a half and we want people to be like, you know, there's a, there's a chance that every single three or four guys could kill a mature deer. Now it's wild animals that's not a guarantee, but that's what we're that's the kind of experience we're going for. To where, for example, turkey season, as we hunt in the mornings, we would be wanting to shift into some educational periods during midday and afternoon where we're seeing these temporary forest openings, or we're seeing the water holes, or you're seeing the food plots and how they're laid out, and you're seeing the blinds. You're seeing the access trails. You're seeing the woodlands that we've restored versus the savannas versus the glades that we've restored. And you can kind of see um, the road system and how it all folds together and how we're accessing stands this way and why it's important to 
to have a cut over here versus over there. And, and th there's no better way for us to do that than just have you guys to the farm. And consistently, the most we're at the farm is during hunting season. So that works out well for us. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, Chad, you got anything to add on the hunts? I don't think so. I, I mean, if, you, if you're well. interested in more information, just email me at adam at landandlegacy.tv. Uh, I think I've shared my email before, but if you start sending me scam, I'm going to, I'm going to get you back. I promise. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, that's, that's how you do it. If you're, if you're really serious about it, um, as everybody says, serious inquiries only, um, uh, just shoot me an email. I'd love to explain it more and, and tell you more about what, what, uh, amenities we'll have involved. Um, so we did the brush management for the cows purpose. Another big yeah. contract that was part of this since there's a creek that runs through the place and there's woodlots that the cows still had the ability to get into if they wanted. We did a fencing contract, an exclusion fencing within RCS. And ultimately from May till July or end of June, I built and Chad built and my dad helped us build four and a half miles of two strand high tensile electric fence. Um, which that was some pretty serious times in our life of making sure we got that contract done. But four and a half miles of high tensile fence in two two months was wow. That was it. That was yeah. a project, I, and I I'm so glad we, it's behind as, us. <clears throat> as we describe a lot of the stuff we're doing, there were there are a lot of things that we are going to talk about that people will be like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good plan for me. I don't know that the two and a half months of doing the two brush management units and the four and a half miles of fence. I don't know that many people would want to sign up for that. No, I would never recommend it. And I wouldn't even recommend it to ourselves given the, like, again, um, no, now having done it, but at the same time we wanted to, as we said before, life is short. So we're trying to complete as much stuff as possible. And so it was like, Oh yeah, we'll build the fence. I'll build the fence. You do the brush management. Well, that is like, yikes, building fence by yourself is one thing, um, but then you got to get the materials and it's too muddy to drive in. So you got to take a four-wheeler. Oh my goodness. So we completed digging the holes. digging post holes, not getting post holes dug in the correct place. And uh, it's just like, oh my goodness. So we built four and a half miles of high tensile electric fence for the cows that we then bought in July um, or late June. And immediately turned the bulls in with them. So we we had the fence. We got the cows. The cows are being bred. So next year they're dropping calves. So then we can sell the calves later on in the year when they get to the appropriate weight. So then we can make the money and kind of create this system where every single year calves are on the ground and we're selling them. Um, and so that's where really ultimately like that's 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 what's paying this that's what's funding this and uh but ultimately that's how we're using cattle to create disturbance to then um be more productive for the wildlife now here's a question for you Chad when when I say this do you think we could if we just completely eliminated cows off the family farm and this farm do you feel like when you look at the productiveness of white-tailed deer, do you think pulling the cows out completely cold turkey, you know what happens, fields grow up, okay? 
do you feel like we could be more productive for white-tailed deer without the cows? I'm I just think... picturing take those bottom fields and start imagining shrubs and weeds growing up. and Yeah, I think. I mean, income is not a thing. Like, we're not worried about I'm... making a dollar off of it. I would say, yes, we could because those bottom fields and all the hay fields and everything would grow up. So we would have more usable space, more acres that, that a deer could bed in, could feed in all that thing, all that. I think we could, I mean, it would be more productive. I, I think it would be more work. Yeah. Um, just because I, I see a lot of land. I see a lot of land that has, that lack of large herbivores. Yeah. And it throws a, a different set of problems out there for landowners. Um, we'll see, and, and you know, we, we're kind of bound by contracts on exclusion fencing now, but in the future, we'll be able to see the benefits of flash grazing cattle through these woodlands. Mm-hmm where I think that was historically how this land was maintained, the combination of it and fire, how it was maintained as the open woodland ecosystems and not growing up in woody shrubs. That's right. Just woody sprouts. No doubt. No doubt. And that's a great point. I I think that's, I feel 100% that if we wanted, let's say, quote, bigger bucks and more deer, and the cows are removed, I think it would be easily achieved. I think we would do, we would have a whole new list of problems, and we would look we would be quickly going, ugh, the the bottom fields, the bottoms are growing up in sprouts, and I don't really know what to like. It's we can't carry a fire through it, and it's it's problematic. I feel like we would turn into bush hoggers pretty quickly. We would have a whole lot more ex- expanse, honestly. Yeah, because. I mean, we would take those bottom fields and we would have to be spraying them. We would have to be, we, we would be doing a lot of other things besides where we have cows grazing on them. And I mean, we might see a lack of production in our turkeys, honestly. Well, that was my next question. I would say 100% that our turkey numbers would decline because the disturbance that the cows are doing, I mean, there was no coincidence that this summer um, we had, we had uh, turkeys and poults following two rotations behind the cows. Like cows are on one end of the field and where they were the week prior and the two weeks prior, that's where the turkeys were. And it was like, man, like I haven't seen turkeys on that part of the field or in, in, in that part of the farm in a while. And, you know, anecdotal research is not a good thing to do. And by that, I mean, just because you saw it doesn't mean, that, oh, this is true. For example, you know, you and I have not trapped at all on the farm in, in many years. And, you know, we trapped there one year where we removed one coyote and a handful of raccoons and possums. And um, so we we just aren't trappers. Not to say we have anything against it. We just don't have time. And the turkey numbers are better this year than they have been in many, many years. And, and you could quickly say, look at the turkeys. We haven't trapped. Yeah. And and, and that, so saw, there's pe- we, and I say that because that there's people before. saying we trap and now there's turkeys when it's just like well we don't trap and there's turkeys what's your point we, we've thrown that out before as anecdotal stuff of well when we were trapping our turkey numbers dropped so yeah by anecdotal that, evidence we should say that we should stop trapping no doubt I mean we we've beat that dead horse many yeah times. and so now um, 
quail. You know, we heard quail this summer. We've seen quail in past years. Uh, the quail would not be if if we completely removed the cows. I would think it would be a bad. It would be bad news for the quail. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So another thing we did. Um, so we brought in the cows for financial reasons as well as historical disturbance. And in many many people think we're crazy because we're pro cows. And I'll say it again: we are pro cows. We are anti mismanagement of cattle, and that's what. 80% of the farms you drive by in the country seem like they're, they are uh, mismanaged, overgrazing, um, overused, and uh, have, have created landscapes that aren't conducive for really anybody. Um, then we turned around and we planted one of our, another thing we did was we planted a 17-acre bottom ground into a diverse grass mix perennial to have more pasture, it's been soybeans and corn in years past just to control the Cerisa lespidiza. We planted it back in pasture this fall. Chad saw it looking good um, just this past weekend. And um, we're going to add legumes to that as well as uh, some broad leaves. So it's a pasture that's got a lot more benefits to wildlife. And, um, you know, when we add alfalfa and clovers and chicories, plantains to it, there's going to be a lot of forage for the deer and turkeys to eat as well as attract insects for turkeys and quail as well. So, um, you know, that, that's one of those is like that, that took us a couple of days to complete all that. Um, we also turned one of our bottom fields, we bush hogged the whole thing, which that was a project. Um, so that was like days when we couldn't work on, we, we weren't working on habitat stuff because we were trying to prep our fields for more productiveness for the cattle. We actually bushhogged two of those bottom fields. That's right. That's right. One of them we bushhogged with a five-foot bushhog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then the big projects we're completing is we logged about 75 to 80 acres um, of the farm. We still got more to go, but uh, we logged kind of the key components that haven't been logged in many years, and a lot of things are changing around this place. Um you know, and that started in August, and then at that same time, the first week in the no first week of November, a dozer rolls in, and we dozed out six to six and a half acres of new openings. I would say four will for sure be food plots. Um, the other two and a half is to yet be determined. One of them will likely be one portion will be likely uh, diverse natives, um, as well as shrubs and pines to protect a roadway uh close to a boundary so that will be uh plant will be planting that this winter um we added about three big clear cuts with the logger um which is going to be bedding we added three ponds with the dozer and these are like wildlife openings little bitty things but they're holding water and we place those in very strategic places to where we can hunt them um in bow range um, the clear cuts are in, you know, that's just with the with the loggers. We're going to do more ourselves, and when it's all said and done, I think we'll have twelve to fifteen clear cuts across the farm, and and that's just on the farm Chad and I purchased. That's not on the family farm. Um, we got more. We've got food plots up there, but there's a lot of things we're still planning on doing there. But we're starting out on the woodlands first. Um, we burned about 200 acres in March. We burned another, oh, 
less than 10 acres probably in uh, summer. Matt and Chad burned that. And then, Chad, you did another couple-acre burn in the fall, which that was probably October. <laughs> um, uh, it was the week. It was That was one that people will think were crazy, but I burned it the week before gun season. Oh, okay. So, yeah, the, the first week in, or the second week of November. Um, and then we also we created a road, uh, started creating a roadway, a four-wheeler trail around the perimeter uh, of our farm. Um, which there's never been a road there that I can ever find on any kind of aerial image. And so it gives us way better access. It it ultimately creates a, a problem for the neighbors who have had the advantage of hunting close to the boundary without ever having to worry about us disturbing or driving through the area. That changes everything. Um, and then so that's just uh, a big uh big, big bonus that we're working on. And so, you know, when you look over the course of time of going, okay, we bought the farm in February, we started completing our glade work, we rolled into brush management, um, into turkey season, into building fence uh, in May, um, and we bought cows in June, late June, um, and then we, uh, we created the road area in July. I remember how hot that was. Ooh, that was brutal. And then in August, of course, we planted food plots. We started marking timber. Uh, you started really taking that while I was working cows and moving cows, Chad. You marked timber in front of the loggers. We started logging in August, September, and then we rolled into uh, getting our, our pasture bush hogged as well as planting more pasture um, and then, uh, we started the dozing, flagging, putting in the ponds, uh, and that's all the course of 11 months. And guys, I mean, we have been, somebody corrected me or, or sent this tidbit. So I appreciate you. I said, I'm not sure if this is, if this is, uh, uh, makes a PG or not, but I said balls to the wall and balls to the wall means I think it was fighter pilots the 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 little levers they would have when they went to slam their basically speed and and go even faster they would take the knobs of the of the stick and shove it up to the front which was called balls to the wall that's where that term comes from <laughs> um, it has been balls to the wall since we bought the place and I yeah, can't because then you also I was thinking then a, also this fall we've been trying to meet our uh, herd management objective, oh, totally. objectives as well. And I think we've got 10 does now over the course of the fall, um, 9 or 10, somewhere in there. And then that doesn't count planting all the food plots and doing all that stuff um, and adding some blinds. And so that's, uh, man, guys, like, I mean, we, we had a plan in place, and sometimes it felt like we weren't really uh, had one, but we have managed to knock out a huge amount of work over the course of 11 months and um, I mean we've got a long list of things that we're hoping to do this next year but that's a year and a wrap of of uh, from buying the farm to here where we are today and and um, I, I, I it's a feather in our cap I guess to think about what all we've done and how much we've improved and I can't I mean there's turkeys all over the place right now um, and we've got some 
it's probably the best year of bucks. Um, people laugh like, of course, you talked about selling hunts. Yeah, of course, it's going to be the best year. But there's more cover on the farm than there's ever been. It seems like we held more bucks through gun season than we ever have. There's a couple doozy four-and-a-half-year-olds that I think are going to be really special next year. And a couple really nice three-year-olds that are going to be awesome four-year-olds um, if they all make it, knock on wood. And, um, you know, it's just pretty remarkable what has occurred and how much we've got to see things change. And um, I'm excited for people. I'm excited to one day have the ability to host more there and show people to where more and more people can look and be like, okay, I'm doing it now. I'm going to do it on my farm. Yeah, to me that's the exciting thing is it's like we're in the very – preliminary stages of a lot of the stuff a lot of a lot of these burned areas or a lot of these areas that have been logged if we've done any kind of cutting in the past like you've done chad the amount of little blue stem that's popped up and other natives and they've never even seen a good thinning or a good fire that's what's exciting to me yeah yeah it's it'll be really exciting to see what it looks like in five years yeah when we get a good get a full burn like every almost every acre has been burned on the place and the place has been um logged completed food plots are in place all the roadways are in place it's going to be something that i i've never seen it and i and i've been on a lot of properties but i'm not seeing one in this level of detail but then again you shouldn't be surprised by that because this is my job. Like it's, yeah. it, it, I, I should be laying up farms like this. Like if I have a poor farm, then, then why would you ever hire me? And, uh, and so there you go. Um, this place is going to be very, very special and I hope that people get to experience it in the future. Um, but on that note, Chad, I know we're, we're, uh, pretty well wrapping up. Thanks again for coming on. And, um, guys, uh, Happy New Year. Uh, we will uh, we'll be excited to unveil everything next week. And um, we appreciate you guys listening once again. We'll catch you next week and next year. Yeah.